0: Good morning brothers and sisters, this past week it occurred to me that in all of my years of being a priest, 13, 14, give or take, I've never actually preached a sermon solely devoted to the diaconate. This is especially egregious because for the last several years I've been the spiritual director for the diaconate program formation. So. I think it's about time I, I, I correct this error. On my part, obviously I've mentioned the diaconate in other sermons before and certainly talked about it in regards to its context in the church and in the hierarchy, but I think today in particular is a good day to talk about this particular calling, this ordination, because in our first reading from the Acts of the Apostles we have the first instance of the diaconate in the church. If you remember, the setup, this is early church, the apostles are still there, and there's a problem in the body. You see, the Hellenists, which are the Greek converts to the church, are complaining against the Hebrew converts to the church because the Hellenists, widows and orphans, were being neglected in the daily distribution of bread. Meaning, those Hebrews that were giving out the charity to feed the poor amongst the, the church were favoring their own Hebrew converts and not the Hellenists. So this obviously created division, and they weren't happy about it, so they brought it to the apostles. So Peter and the apostles gathered the community together, and they say, "Okay, look, we don't have the time or energy to devote to waiting at table, basically serving table. That's not our job. As the first pope and bishops of the church, their responsibility was prayer and the preaching of the word, and of course, the sacraments themselves. It wasn't their job to go out and feed the poor. And so, in order to correct the error, or fix the problem in the church, they asked for seven reputable men to be chosen by the people. The people chose these men, filled with wisdom and the Holy Spirit, Basically, good, holy, Catholic men set apart from the rest of the community. And then these seven men were chosen. And Peter and the other apostles laid hands on them and ordained them and made them what we know as deacons. So these are the first deacons of the church, the first seven deacons of the church. Their role is intimately tied up in their name as deacon. So the word deacon means servant. That's their job. They're there to serve. They're there to serve the needs of the bishops and the priests. They're there to serve the needs of the faithful. They're a servant. So when we talk about them in theology classes, we say that deacons are ordained to Christ the servant. Priests and bishops are ordained to Christ the head. The reason we have that linguistic difference is because obviously the the bishops and the priests have a far more elevated power in the church through their ordination to effect the sacraments. Deacons can certainly baptize, but technically anybody can do that. But they can perform marriages, and that's about it. So their role, first and foremost, is to serve in those areas of the church where the bishops and the priests just don't have the time and energy for. Throughout the longest history of the church, the diaconate has always been maintained, but we did not have for a long time, for over a thousand years, what we have now, which is called the permanent diaconate. What do I mean by this? Okay, so in the early church, these men obviously were ordained deacons to go out in service to help the needs of the body, but they didn't necessarily ever become priests. Maybe some of them did at some future point, but some of them just remained servants, deacons, the rest of their life and died that way. So there's a difference, however, at least intellectually between a deacon who becomes a priest and a deacon who remains a deacon. So we we just distinguish them by saying it this way. I was ordained a deacon before I was ordained a priest. I was a deacon, well, I'm still a deacon technically. So every priest in the church is always ordained a deacon first. So when he's ordained, he's called a transitional deacon. Not because he's giving up his diaconate once he's ordained to the priesthood, but because his diaconate is for the purpose of getting him to the priesthood. So he becomes the servant before he becomes the head. But those men that remain in the diaconate and are not seeking priesthood, they're just called permanent deacons. Kind of simple enough. So transitional deacons, those are seminarians going to be ordained to the priesthood one day that are ordained deacons, and the permanent deacons are just ordained deacons. Now this, this role was renewed and restored to the church after the Second Vatican Council. So in the last, you know, 60, 80 years, we've had a lot more permanent deacons in the church, and it's been a great boon, a great help to, to the church and to priests. In fact, I've, I've wanted a deacon here for many years now. You'd think being the spiritual director of diaconate formation, I could get one. That's not the way things work. So. Still praying on that, though. So what do we look for? What does the church look for? And what do I personally look for when I'm interviewing candidates for the Daconate Formation? Well, Peter tells us a few things. You have to be reputable, respectable. You should be wise. That doesn't mean perfectly wise, but you need to have some wisdom and understanding. You need to be filled with the Spirit and faith. And above all... One of the things we look for in deacon candidates is somebody who already serves his local community in one way or another. In one way or another, he's already in service. Sometimes we've had applicants to the diaconate program and kind of spiritual side of things, they're perfect. They just look great, wise, holy, raise their children well, all of these things, but they didn't really actively serve anyone in their community and we're like, oh, okay, go work on this for another year or two and then apply again. So it's an essential aspect, since the ordination is for the service to the body, you have to have a service-minded heart. You have to already, in a sense, have received that charism. Now, obviously, we know deacons can preach. In fact, the primary role of the deacon in the liturgy is to proclaim the gospel. So if I have a deacon here at St. Dorothy's, I'm not supposed to read the gospel. I mean, I'm still a deacon, so I can. But the deacon is the one who has the right to proclaim the gospel. Now, because of that, he can also preach with the permission of the the celebrant, the priest celebrant. Also, another role that the permanent deacon in particular holds within the liturgy is that if the Eucharist is being distributed under the form of the precious blood, that's his by right. So if I had a couple of extra priests and deacons here, and I was distributing the precious blood, I would have to allow the deacons to distribute the precious blood. So proclaiming the gospel and distributing the precious blood is theirs by right according to their role as deacons in the liturgy. Outside of the liturgy, we can all just do different types of jobs, there's no specific rules. But deacons assist in many ways. I remember growing up in Hickory at St. Aloysius, we always had deacons, they still have them there. And we had this one old deacon, I don't remember which wars he had been in, but he was an old military guy, and uh, us boys, especially, always liked it one day. He showed us that uh, when he was off in another country in war, he got a, a hula girl tattooed on his arm, and when he flexed, he could make her dance. So <laughs> he, He's already gone to his reward, so he, he's with the Lord. But uh, still a good deacon. That's not the only thing I remember about him. He's a good holy man. But I was a child, and I thought that was neat. So <laughs> but again, the deacons would often teach faith formation catechism they'd help prepare couples for marriage or for baptism there's there's any number of things that they do but obviously in this gospel in particular they were there to help distribute bread to the community for those who were in need and they took an authoritative role in doing so that way the people of god didn't have to keep bothering the apostles every time there was a little disagreement such as this now Another thing that's important to understand in regards to maybe any of you men that are discerning the diaconate, there's many years of formation. So if you get accepted to the program, there's a lot of formation, intellectual and spiritual. You wanna make sure you're properly formed and prepared to be ordained and to minister in the name of Christ. But there's also another thing that every man getting ordained to the diaconate must promise when he gets ordained. And that is, if he's married, and his spouse dies, he's forbidden from every remarrying. It's forbidden. And if he's not married when he becomes a permanent deacon, he takes a vow of celibacy like a priest, and he's never allowed to get married. That's another rule about the diaconate. It's always been the case in the church. I could preach a whole other sermon on that. We'll just leave it there for now. However, another point to consider is that a man cannot be ordained to the diaconate, even if the bishop wants him, even if he wants it, if he's married without his wife's permission. His wife must consent. She must consent to it. Why? Because it's going to affect her life too. It is one of the things that we expect of the wives in the diaconate formation program, that they, insofar as they are able, participate in their husband's formation. We want them to go to the theology classes with them, the spiritual classes with them. In the early church, the wives of deacons used to be called deaconesses. Now, they were never ordained, so don't worry about that. It's always a class difference in regards to the hierarchy. But they were called deaconesses because they had an official role in the church, in the body of Christ. In fact, one of their very interesting responsibilities, which I don't know how many of you know this, was on the Easter vigil when people were baptized At certain points in the early church, it was tradition that you'd get baptized by immersion and you'd got baptized naked. (laughs) So, yeah, exactly. So, glad we don't do that anymore, right? So, when a woman was being baptized, the deacon's wives would surround the baptismal font to block anybody from seeing it. That was one of the roles of the deacon's wives, to, to help protect chastity for everyone involved. So I always found that fascinating. But again, don't worry, we, you don't have to get naked to get baptized anymore, except for, the well, no, even the babies don't have to. But the role of a deacon's wife, even though it's not liturgical, in a sense, you know, you don't have any power to, to help effect the sacraments in any way. What happens is, because of the elevation of your husband in this official capacity in the church, you yourself are elevated in the eyes of the people, and so... What we find is, these wives in particular, many other women in the parish and other people in the parish seek them for advice and direction. So we want to see that the wives themselves not only encourage and support their husbands calling to the diaconate, but are willing and able to accept the responsibilities of being the wife of a deacon. Now being a permanent deacon doesn't mean you can't have a family and you can't have a regular job. Of course you can but it does take on some added responsibilities. So generally speaking, when we look for candidates to the diaconate, we're looking for somebody who's already raised his children. If he has kids, for the most part, they're almost ready to get out of the house, or they're more or less out of the house already, because we wouldn't want him to be taken away from his primary vocation, which is his family, his vocation to matrimony. So since we don't want that, we would wait till he's raised his children. And that's usually what the scriptures themselves attest. That if a man is called, one of the signs you look for is, has he raised his children well? If he's taking on this official role in the church, and all of his children have have rejected the faith and gone off and done bad things, well, then you have to be a little concerned. Doesn't mean he didn't have a big conversion and he can't do a good job now, but I have to question You're going to receive this authority and power and now you're going to go out and and try to raise holy catholics if you couldn't even raise the few in your home how well are you going to do it on a grander scale now that doesn't mean you parents who don't have some children who've gone off the deep end and away from the faith it's on you that's not always how it works you know that you can't control these things but we do look into that again it's another aspect we see in these men now this This role of deacons in the church again is apostolic. Christ did not himself create deacons. The apostles did, but they had the power to do so. Whatever Peter binds on earth is bound in heaven, right? And so the early church created this ministry because they recognized a need and obviously they were guided by the Holy Spirit in doing this. So it is good for the church to have deacons. And if any of you men have considered or potentially consider this vocation one day. Obviously, you can always talk to me. Don't worry, I don't actually get a vote on whether you join or not as, as the spiritual director. Although, as your pastor, I do. You, you need the permission of your pastor, basically. If your pastor says, no, no, I don't think they should be a deacon. You're, you're not gonna be a deacon. <laughs> but again, think about it, pray about it. Sometimes we just don't even consider this as an option or a possibility. I recall in a particular way A very close family friend who was in diaconate formation when he developed a very rare disease and passed away but he was one of those men that you just could see as a deacon like the rest of the community was like oh yes he's meant to be a deacon it was very I mean tragic on one level because everybody wanted him to be a deacon he just fit the paradigm so perfectly it wasn't God's will the Lord took him home first and that happens at times. But in the end, again, what you'll do as a community is try to encourage those men yourselves. If you see a man who could serve the Lord in one of these capacities, you know, certainly pray for them. Maybe ask them, hey, have you ever thought about being a deacon before? Now for ourselves, I would just like us to end with a prayer for all of the deacons in the diocese, all of the permanent deacons for their wives and their families, for all of the men and their families who are in formation to be ordained to the diaconate, and God willing, if I could get at least one deacon here, that would be great. So I thought we'll just end with one more Hail Mary for those intentions. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, Pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death, amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.